You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church. We're located in the Ballston neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us on the web at cumcballston dot o-r-g. There you can learn more about our congregation, where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. So our scripture today, as she said, is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And it's on page 1848 in your pew Bible. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. The diligent in the, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress watch your life and doctrine closely persevere them persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourselves and your hearers the word of god for the people of god thanks Thanks be be to God. god thank you kathy the very first time i got called to visit a parishioner in the icu was on october 31st in my very first year of ministry i was 27 years old serving as the associate pastor at a church about an hour west of here. The church was about five minutes from the hospital in town, so I quickly made my way to the ICU. I arrived at the locked doors to the unit and dutifully picked up the phone to call the nurse's station, and I asked for admittance. The unit secretary walked to the door to open them for me. Since it happened to be Halloween, she was dressed as a fairy, complete with wings. She opened the door, and we'd never met before, so I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Pastor Sarah from Warrington United Methodist Church. I'm here to visit a parishioner in room 12. She looked at me closely 
And she said, no, you can't come in. You're not a pastor. You're too young. Then she shut the doors. I stood there for a moment, flabbergasted. Throughout my seminary training, there had been many, many conversations about the unique challenges that women face in ministry, but I had never heard anyone talk about the challenge of being young. I composed myself, and I went into the family waiting room. Thankfully there, I ran into some of the family members of the parishioner that I was there to visit. So I got to sit with them and pray with them there, and then one of them escorted me into the right room to visit their loved one. When I returned to the church office, I shared my experience with the senior pastor of the church. He suggested that next time I should wear my clergy collar so that it would be obvious that I really was a pastor. And I responded, any other day that would have worked. But today, a fairy with wings shut the door. I'm sure she would have just thought my clergy collar was a costume. <laughs> Some religious traditions, like the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church, clergy wear a clerical collar every day for their work. That isn't quite as common in the Methodist Church. But if you've seen me officiate a funeral, or if you've happened to see me on a day that Jean and I have had to meet with county officials about our building project, then you've probably seen me wear a clergy collar. It's a simple black shirt with a white band in front. Some wear a full white band all the way around, but I tend to wear the kind that just has the tab in the front. It's a shirt that both deacons and elders wear. Purple shirts are reserved for bishops, so you won't catch me or Pastor John in purple. But it's a symbol of the ordination that we carry no matter what we're wearing. Sometimes I've had to run personal errands before or after an event where I've needed to wear my clergy collar and I forget and then I hear the whispers. Sometimes it's in a grocery store. I didn't know a woman could be a priest. Other times it has brought the most inspiring conversations. Like the time I stopped at Ikea and the woman working in the cafe brought a conversation to me that I never expected, and it ended with her praying for me that God would bless my ministry. Being a woman and wearing a symbol of my call to ordination, my call to be an elder in the Methodist church, what some churches call a priest, simply being who I am, is a challenge to some people and their assumptions about who God calls to ordination. This past Friday marked the 173rd anniversary of the birth of Anna Howard Shaw. At the age of 14, Anna felt the call to preach. In 1878, she was the second woman to graduate from my alma mater, Boston University School of Theology. But after graduation, she was refused ordination by the New England Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Two years later, she made history when she was one of the first women ordained by any branch of Methodism when she went to the New York Conference of the Methodist Protestant Church. Thanks to preachers like Anna Howard Shaw, Methodists have ordained women for many years, but not without challenge. That is not true in all denominations. 
the summer camp that I attended as a child was connected to a local church that does not ordain women. There are many roles that women can fulfill in leadership in that tradition, but never a pastor. That camp happened to be an all-girls camp, so we didn't run into that tripwire where you, as a woman, can only teach boys to a certain age in that tradition. So thankfully, we were all girls, and we didn't run into that problem of women teaching older boys and men about the Bible. At that camp, I participated in what they called the Camper and Leadership Training Program. It was a three-year program that helped me learn about leadership and prepared me to serve as a counselor. The theme verse for that training program came from the scripture that Kathy read for us today. 1 Timothy 4.12 Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We heard over and over from our leader, be an example, not an example. That was her way of reminding us. Be a good example for the campers who looked up for us. And be an example for the staff in the way that we behaved as mature young women. That camp blessed me in many ways with strong female role leaders who were women of God, who were faithful and devoted to using their gifts. Many of them spent their time away from camp throughout the rest of the year as teachers, and not a single one of them was a preacher. Growing up here in Arlington, I also was surrounded by many accomplished women, doctors, lawyers, vice presidents of businesses, but only one time before I went to college did I ever see a clergywoman she was the associate pastor at Mount Olivet, just down the street from us, and she happened to preach at my home church in Cherrydale one week. So I suppose I always knew that women could be ministers, but I just never experienced that modeled for me. So when I was 15 years old, I got really sad, thinking about how I was getting closer to looking at colleges and having to set a career path, and that would mean that it would take away the time and the energy that I had to serve God at the church. As a teen, I was teaching the three-year-old Sunday school class every week, leading a midweek program for elementary kids at another church, and I was active in a variety of youth ministries at my home church and at a few other neighboring churches as well. I knew that one day I'd have to pick a career and I wouldn't have as much time to spend serving God through the church. Until one day, it dawned on me, there were adults working at that church. Why couldn't I be one of those people too? I loved the groups of children that I was teaching. I had a long love of music. And so I thought I might be able to go to college and study both of those so that I would be equipped to work in a church. I would be ready to lead a children's ministry or a music ministry or maybe both if it was a small church. At that time, in our United Methodist system, we had people who weren't ordained, but who had additional training in a specialized ministry, like music or education. At that time, we called them diagonal ministers. So I started thinking that was the path for me. I found a good college with an excellent training program for education and also a center for sacred music. 
In my sophomore year of college, I studied abroad in England, and one day while sitting in chapel, I couldn't understand the sermon at all. Started off with a story that had a lot of British slang that I didn't understand at the time. So I was not getting the preacher's intended message. But I did get a message that day from the Holy Spirit. It confirmed my sense that God was calling me to full-time Christian service. But I still didn't think that meant ordination. I just knew God was calling me to commit my whole life to sharing the good news of Christ. I felt like I was on the right track, getting a Bachelor of Arts in Religious Studies, preparing for the Virginia Teacher Certification for Elementary Education, and studying sacred music. I would be prepared to serve as a staff person at whatever church God called me to. But it was always as a layperson. It still hadn't occurred to me that God might be calling me to ordination. When I started exploring more about the process to become a diaconal minister, I was devastated to learn that they didn't exist anymore. In 1996, our general conference rethought ordination, and they reclassified all the people who had been lay people as diaconal ministers, and they said, those people are now going to be ordained, but they are going to be ordained as deacons. You see, prior to 1996, Every pastor in the United Methodist Church was ordained twice. They were ordained first as a deacon. This was a transitional phase, a time of learning and growing. And after your first couple of years of ministry as a deacon, you would then be ordained as an elder. But in 1996, they said, no, we're going to rethink what does it mean to be a deacon? What does it mean to be an elder? They're actually very different calls. So they established permanent orders of deacon and elder. So no longer was serving as a deacon a transitional phase. It was now a permanent order of ordination. We heard last week from Pastor John, and we'll celebrate his ordination this coming summer at conference when he will be ordained a deacon. He will be ordained to word and service justice and compassion. When I was ordained as an elder, I was ordained to word, service, sacrament, and order. You can see the photo of the symbol. It's a little dark, but I hope you can see. The woman standing there is holding a chalice and a paten. It's the name for the plate that holds communion bread. Those are the symbols in the ordination service for elders. It's because we, ordain, we are ordained to officiate and preside at communion and baptism, the two sacraments of our church. I had never thought that my calling was going to be to ordination at all, but when I thought maybe God would call me to ordination, it was at first as a deacon. I still thought God was going to call me to a specialized area of ministry. But I couldn't study both. When you go on to seminary, if you're going to be a deacon, you often will get a master's of divinity or a master's of theological studies, and you will get a dual master's in whatever your area of specialization is. So obviously, if it's music, you get a degree in music. If it's education, you get a degree in education. There are some deacons who get masters of social work. There are other who get masters in business, and they serve in the business world. So I knew I needed to take some time for discernment. 
So I took two years after college to begin what we call the candidacy process. This is the time of discernment where the church assigns you a mentor so that you can clarify what you are hearing God calling you to do. I happened to be assigned the senior pastor at Mount Olivet, and he was willing to meet with me every week for a year. I was also interning full-time at Annandale United Methodist Church, splitting my time between the church office, the music suite, and the education wing. My hope was to get clarity on where God was calling me so I would know what to study when I went to seminary. Little did I know that it was the conversations with the associate pastor at Annandale, who was an ordained clergy woman, that would actually help me open my heart and mind to the idea that God was calling me to serve as an elder. I had never envisioned myself leading a congregation and presiding at the communion table. Yet during that internship year, I first heard a woman preach on a regular basis. And second, I had the opportunity to talk with her about her call and the way that God uses women in the church. It finally opened my heart to the idea that God was calling me to be an elder in the church. It was nine years from that first moment of thinking that God was calling me to full-time Christian service to saying yes to seeking ordination as an elder in the Methodist church. It took another eight years or so to actually get to be ordained, but nine years from first hearing that call to understanding how God wanted to use me. So at 27, I was commissioned as what we, call, what we called at the time a probationary elder. We call them provisional elders now. And then on my 30th birthday, I was ordained an elder. This is a photo of Bishop Kammerer in the moments before my ordination. And again, I wish the picture wasn't quite as dark, but there's a Bible there under our hands. And that Bible is one that each of us brings our own, so it's one that I brought. And you select the passage upon which you open the Bible and place your hands when you're ordained. I had my Bible open to the text that you heard this morning. It was a text that, of course, meant a lot to me because of that time at my seminary, I mean, at the summer camp I attended but it also just spoke deeply to what I believe is important to answer my call. Paul told Timothy to set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to the preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands upon you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That passage captures for me so much of what I feel is at the heart of ministry. As leaders set apart, that's all that ordination does. It doesn't set us above, it sets us apart. We are called to be so diligent in these matters, and it's a call that I take seriously. And it's one that I know has 
been a challenge for some in this world. For many years, it was because of my age. But I know, especially since I'm turning 40 this summer, I won't always be young. But I will always be a woman in ministry. And that will challenge some people. But I believe that if I keep turning time and time again to this passage, to remind myself to watch my life and doctrine closely, then I will save both myself and my hearers. I've shared with you my call story today. And I hope you noticed there wasn't that single light bulb moment. So often when I hear others offer their story of call, they have a moment of clarity that helps them pivot and immediately get on the right path. But for me, it was nine years of clarifying, of understanding deeper. What was God calling me to do? of responding to that invitation that God was extending to me. For me, it ended up in a path that allows me to wear this yoke of ministry as an elder. And I believe that God is calling each of you. It may not be to ordination, but it is to ministry of some kind. By virtue of our baptism, every person is called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, you may bristle at that term of not wanting to claim minister for yourself, and that's fine. You can say disciple, you can say apostle, you can say whatever word helps you claim that idea. But next week, we're going to dive a little deeper into the ways that lay people can respond to God's call in their lives. Because laity are also called to ministry. If you won't be here, you can catch the sermon on the podcast online. But I hope that between now and next Sunday, you might be praying and listening. How is God calling you? You may have a light bulb moment, or you may simply have a moment of clarity that takes you one step deeper into understanding how God is calling you to answer this odd and wondrous calling to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are humbled that you want to work with us as partners in this world. You could do everything without us, and yet you want us to use our gifts in who we are in this world to be part of the body of Christ. Thank you for this invitation. I pray for all of us now that we would continue to listen, not just with the ears in our heads, but with the ears in our hearts, to listen closely to how you are calling us to serve you in this world. Thank you for this gracious invitation. We lift up our prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.